Hello everyone, welcome. This is Grace Asagra of Quantum Nurse Freedom International live stream. And with me are two handsome gentlemen. And one of them is my co-host is Dr. Joseph Sanson, who was just my guest, my first time guest not too long ago. And I would like him to keep coming back. But of course, we both adore our feature guest, who is Dr. Peter Bregan. And we and with Dr. Peter Bregan is always around him, is a powerful woman who is always ready to help him, okay? And to be of assistance. And you know, one plus one equals really two, okay? So thank you again. And bear with us if some, there will be some, you know, challenge sometimes, you know, I'm a one man production. <laughs> but I also thank our viewers and followers and thank you for doing your work and your responsibility in contributing to this movement wherever you are and whatever you do. Good evening, good afternoon, good, good morning. And I truly appreciate that we're all in this together. So, you know, as uh, just before we started, Peter and Joe know that there's so many things, and all of you know that we've been bombarded with so many critical issues coming up left and right from health to politics, to economics, to finance. So if our conversation goes all over the world, because it is important to mention those things. And with our connection to the source, we have direct cognition that in this moment, whatever our hearts and spirits would like to share so that we could all be empowered, then we're here for you. So thank you. So thank you, Peter. And thank you, Joe. Thank you very much. And the wonderful thing with Joseph, Dr. Joseph Sanson and Dr. Peter Bregan is now they're also with the nationalarm.org. Yeah, so ARM stands for American Renaissance Movement. So I want to power people. I want to connect people like that. Okay. So then they could answer if any of you have questions and concerns. Now you know Dr. Peter Bregan is one, is a key advisor with Ginger Bregan. Is, did I get this information correctly? Yes. Okay, perfect. So I think what I wanted to do at first is, because uh, feature your website, especially your books, okay? Because if there's so much that Peter has done forever and ever, you know, from way, 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 way before. And that's why for me, Dr. Peter Bregan is a wise elder, not just because he's older than all of us, but he really used that age and wisdom together to open up a lot, a lot of uh, our, our, our minds when it comes to pharmaceutical company. And he struggled with so many things, right? He, he struggled. Hair, too, mm -hmm. so, he's got good hair too. He's got me beat. So I, he's the best. Yeah. Okay. So let's see this one. So I'll add Maybe it. I'm the best. Okay. <laughs> oh, so this one is, this is his website. Okay. And let me feature that. Uh, let me roll that for you so you could see. So the top of your the website featured right away the COVID-19 and the global predators, we are the prey, which is a, you know, 
an award-winning book in everyone's eyes, especially when we wanted to know the truth. And they have published, who knows? I don't know. Well, Peter will tell us how many. But one of the, when he, they're so generous also that they've been donating these books to many of the truth and freedom movements. And and look look at all these books. Can you see all of that? So look at that from the psychiatric drug withdrawal, medication madness, guilt, shame, and uh, anxiety, toxic psychiatry, brain disabling treatments in psychiatry, and on and on and on. So what does it tell us about Peter? And he's well-respected with his uh, you know, incredible knowledge and um, just character. So was respected by ordinary people like me, but also, also in the professional world. Okay, so we, I, I, I don't just uh, take my conversation lightly with Peter. So that's and anything more you want to add with this introduction with your website, Peter? Please do so. I'm a person. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, um, the idea of whether I'm respected or not definitively depends on who you're asking because as of 1995, six, and then finally 97, the pharmaceutical industry got the right to do direct-to-consumer advertising. And in the several years before they got the right to do direct consumer advertising, I was many times on all of the top TV shows. Oprah many times, Larry King Live many times, 2020, the daylight talk shows, all the morning shows. I was really, uh, really well-known human being. Uh, and as soon as the drug companies uh, got the direct-to-consumer advertising, um, I lost all of the regular TV connections. And then I still had uh, Fox News, and I was on with Hannity on the radio a few times still, and Hannity had me on um, when he used to work with Coons, Coons Combs, Combs, Hannity and Combs. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, the progressive did not like what I had to say about saving children from Ritalin and not diagnosing children, which, uh, whereas the person on the right was uh, really understood. Why do we want to categorize children besides family issues, kids out of control, it's family issues, not a kid's brain. And Hannity uh, understood that well. And I was uh, once or twice on um, the factor. And then that stopped as well. Um, and um, Tucker Carlson, one of the one of our top medical people, was on Tucker Carlson, and he said, "Well, if you really want to know what's going on with these questions you're asking me about, where does this get started? You've got to talk to Peter Bregan, and you know he's got a book out. This was privately, he said. And Tucker Carlson said, we cannot have Peter Bregan on. And that was it. So there's been while well, I'm deeply respected and loved. I, I really do think there are millions of people out there who are feeling they're benefiting from what we're doing. Um, I was canceled to the establishment back in the 90s, maybe one of the first really canceled people. 
um, way back then. Um, but that is not a bad lead into what I, which I want to talk about, which is to begin with, how do we make the most out of life? That's what I want to talk about for part of the show. And I don't usually do it. <clears throat> I just got through with an hour of a session with the two clients who are really learning to love each other after having had a very, very difficult time together. And it's on my mind that I think the, the key to facing everything about what we're dealing with in life is not to lose track of, of a loving attitude. I've also become aware how much I smile. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my hosts and other people and they're really smiling. You, 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 you're smiling. <laughs> no, Grace. And um, now I got Joe smiling a little bit. Sort of a twisted smile there, yeah. But, and I'm trying to figure out what, why that is. And I think it is because I'm looking out at, with love at what I'm seeing. And so it amuses me and it interests me, even though so much of it is horrific. And um, it's about the power of love. And I even have my own definition of love, which I've been using for years, which has stood me in really good stead psychologically, spiritually, and that love is basically a joyful awareness. Uh, whether you're listening to Mozart or looking at nature <clears throat> or um, talking with friends that you know, I, I know both of you, um, and uh, working with Joe. Joe's got a chapter in my forthcoming book. Um, we, I have about six or seven guest authors whom I think are just doing something so special. I'd let them talk about it. And Joe has sent me a good article about that. Um, and uh, the, um, the fundamental idea really behind what I want to be motivated by is that I am filled with love in my heart a lot of the time. And when I'm not, Ginger helps me come out of the dark place. Um, and that it's really, it's really not just even, uh, it starts with Ginger. It starts with romantic love for me. I don't know that it has to for everybody. I'm, I'm sure it doesn't. And in fact, usually we have romantic love when we're young. We get so hurt, we give up on it. That's really common. Think about that for yourself as I'm talking. If you have a, a romantic love. I, I fell in love when I was 15 with Judy, who was 14. She was down the street from me. And uh, Judy was a very bright person. She would eventually be uh, editor of the yearbook and uh, and our, our both our parents were threatened by how much Judy and I loved each other, and they broke it up. So that was blow number one. I was in love again when I was 19, and I tell you this because I think this is a key part of love. And I fell in love, and oddly enough, this was now at Harvard. I was at Harvard Summer School, and I met this wonderful woman from Reed, and um, college was there for the summer, and her mother sent detectives after us. We were doing things, living together, that was not common in those days. We're talking about 1954, 1956. But we were very devoted to each other, and our mother just whisked her out of, out of uh, my life. And I did not recover from those things for 40 plus years. 
I met Ginger in um, 1972-73. She was assigned um, by her organization to pick me up at the airport in Detroit to, to do a landmark trial in psychosurgery. I was the psychiatric expert and we won and we stopped with one trial, all of psychosurgery with me and a lawyer, um, Kamowitz. You can look this up. It's on my website, but you can look it up on, look up Kamowitz, the Department of Mental Health, Michigan. And you'll be able to get, uh, maybe not my testimony, but you can get the opinion of the judges. And um, I fell in love with her. She's 15 years younger than me. She was the smartest person I'd ever talked to. She was 21, I, so I was around 15 years, more than 21, 35 or six. And I got so scared because of what I'd experienced before, I never saw her again for 10 years. And then I think God took pity on stupid me and overwhelmed me, frightened of love me. And um, he uh, had a woman out in Los Angeles who was doing a sh closing her anti-psychiatry play. <laughs> What's the, why do you speak at the closing? But she wanted me to come and speak at the closing of the play. And I thought that that was a nice thing I could do. And in those days, there were lots of local, big local TV shows. So I called one in those days, they knew who I was. And they paid my way out to stay at the Universal Hotel just to do their Los Angeles TV show. And I got to Los Angeles, and there's a reason for these details, I think. I think there's a reason. It's about God, not just me and Ginger. And um, I get my first telephone message ever at a hotel. This is 43, 42 years ago. And uh, it says, uh, it's from an old girlfriend, and it says, I met a woman named Ginger out here. She says that uh, she'd like to hear from you and here's her phone number, but I have no idea whether you want to hear from her or not. So I didn't give her your number. So I called her and I said, this is the ginger I was in love with all those years ago. I would love to see you. Because her last name was different. She'd gotten married. And um, she picked a man who looked so much like me that when her daughter adopted me, when she when she came to live with us and her daughter adopted me when she was 12. She's the daughter who looks the most like me. Because um, <laughs> Ginger's, Ginger's husband looks so much, so much like me and was uh, an anti-psychiatry person. Rare phenomena in the world. Um, so I, I got together with Ginger that day and I told her I was still in love with her after 10 years and would she marry me? She said, yes. That's how real it was. That's how overwhelmingly real it was. Um, I really believe in love. I forgot for 20 plus years, 30 years, how much I loved her because it was so terrifying to be hurt that much again because she was like a miracle. I mean, I, I could bring up something and she not only understood me, she had a better idea. She was beautiful. She was spiritual. We walked and looked at statues and saw beings in them at the Detroit Museum. <laughs> um, so listen, 
the one of the big barriers to our loving the world or loving each other is that the relationships get screwed up. It's not about love. Some best experiences of my life were with the two young women I loved when I was a very young man, and then Ginger for the rest of my life. Because then I knew that you do it. See, if I'd been braver when I was 15 or braver when I was uh, 19 at Harvard, I might have said, don't listen to your mother. We love each other or something like that. And then I would have followed her to read when I was uh, in college or I would have banged on a door down the block. I didn't have that confidence. It was just overwhelming. So love really matters. One of the things I do in therapy is I say, who do you love? Who do you love the most? Especially if they're they they're not with a loved one at the time. Only if they're not with a loved one at the time, which usually turns into couples therapy, because then they both learn same ideas and they can disagree and agree and then help each other with these ideas or their own new ones. But um, the the first thing I ask them, uh, were you in love with each other if you're together? Were you once in love with each other? We're not sure now. Are you once in love? Oh, my God. They go back and they talk about how they loved each other. I say, then you can do it again. How? Ah, that's what you're going to learn to come from love every moment you can. We'll get back in touch with that love and you'll come from that love every single moment you can. I'll show you how to ignore negative feelings, how to suppress them, how to not take them seriously, how to remember you love the person. And you'll be surprised how everything else gets to be trivial. You'll learn your bad habits that interfere, that make the other person feel bad. You'll learn that this is a treasure. You're living with a treasure you're in love with. And that, I always believe, means that God touched the whole thing. That's a little hard for a scientist like me, but even worse if psychiatrists like me, these backgrounds, loveless backgrounds, especially psychiatry. Um, so I'm not speaking as a psychiatrist right now. You're not going to get this from your psychiatrist. You might get this from your trainer. You might get this from a good book. You might get this maybe if you're lucky from a therapist. You're not going to get this from most people who are psychiatrists. There's no word love in the back of any psychiatry book I've ever looked in the index. Um, so this is not about me being a psychiatrist. That was a handicap I overcame. Um, so love is a joyful awareness. I can be so overwhelmed with um, writing my books. I mean, they feel like I'm confronting evil when I, when I wrote this first one. I never had that feeling before in my life. I felt like I was confronting the evil of the universe and I was fighting back. You know, COVID-19 is still the only deep dive into the broad aspect of the global predators. There are books about the secret societies, books about the banks, books about this and that books about the military industrial complex. And uh, this, there's no book like COVID-19, the global predators, uh, which is really more about the global predators even than COVID. And there are a lot of good books about COVID, but not about the global predators. Because it's so evil to confront it. I think that's the what I'm concluding. Because I'm once again writing, and I get into these states where I'm blinded as ginger. Ginger says blinded by evil. Well, 
I think we get blinded by evil also when we try to love because love is divine. If there is such a thing as God and the devil or God and evil, I'm not sure. My, my theology ends with I believe in a loving God. And I don't even know what the God looks like or what it is. But it's in my life, whatever this loving force is in my life. Brought me back together with Ginger, practically against our will. Um, and and Peter, I think you surely manifest that loving God because of the love that you do through your kind of work, okay? Plus, of course, definitely you shared a beautiful love story. And most, most of us, like, you know, we still have many years to catch up, if we can even catch up, right, Joe, to his love story. But Joseph, Joseph Samson may have something to share because I know he has, you know, this that kind of work too that he cares about people. Well, you're a therapist. Uh huh. Oh. He was a therapist. Exactly. I'm sure Joe will. I think you wanted to bring Joe on, but you brought me back. Mm. <laughs> he'll come back sometimes this technology you know becomes challenging ginger my wife just intervenes with all of the technology yeah uh, yeah and i'm even you know a little sad <laughs> because right now i know i'm streaming in one platform but the other platform is like there's a little tech problem, but it's okay. Because the most important thing is that after this, this is being recorded so our, to our audience, we may have failed you for the live stream in one platform, but we will is upload this in, in other platforms after, okay? So- I, I hope so, because I don't talk about this as honestly as this, or as in late as this often. And it's on my mind today, because I was about to, after I get off talking with my clients, I see about eight hours, nine hours of clients a week. Um, I said to Ginger, I want to talk, honey, about really communicating more about love into the world and maybe doing a series, maybe a pod, series of podcasts or something. Go ahead. Peter, I, you you shared this, the way you're sharing now, you once shared this story to us also in this platform. You see? Oh, my God. You, you must know. bring it out in me. Exactly. No, I know that. I can make people be so comfortable that it is a safe space. Yes. Well, you're very beautiful. You're very kind. You're very unassuming. You're very smart. And that's a description I would give of my wife. <laughs> yeah. So, and so that's why, you know, if not for that, but this question it, that, but what, and not to, not to divert to our, to, from the beautiful fact that loving relationship is important to survive nowadays. Didn't they use that weakness about love during the past three years or four years? Because they keep saying, if you love your family, if you love your grandpa. And right. grandpa. That's really good. You didn't ask me that last time, I don't think. That's oh. really, really good. And love, because it's such a strong motivation, love often is abused. It's abused by people when they love each other. They get weird and they abuse it and, and appeal to it. So I want to come back to that love is a very simple thing. It's an 
unconditional, no holes barred, wonderment, treasuring, having joy about another human being or life or God or any other thing. The rest is the relationship. And abusers manipulate love. People manipulate love all the time. But if you come back to the principle that love is essentially joyful, becomes easier to see when you're being abused around love. If it's painful, other than the normal dealing with the loss of love, which of course is painful, but if the relationship is painful, if the words are painful, if what you're experiencing in the presence of the other person is painful and you're when you're pretty sure it's not coming out of your own issues, it's not love. The person may even love you on some level, a mother, a father, a wife, husband, child. Um, if they're hurting you, it is not the love that they're coming from. Because love, uh, love, I mean, this is in the Bible, you know, love love is pure, love is simple, love is unconditional, all those things. And in the New Testament, I'm quoting the New Testament. I'm a Jew quoting the New Testament. So um, the uh, you have to learn that when someone is hurting you, you need to figure it out, period. And I think, uh, Dr. Bragan, a little bit on Grace's questionnaire, I think what they did is they inverted love because they made it about fear and guilt, which is almost the antithesis of it's the antithesis. Love. Yeah. And so they made you think it was because you loved grandma or your grandkid, but yeah. they, they really sold fear and guilt. And that's not love. Even in relationships, it's not love. You know, not truth, love. truth, beauty, you know, love, divinity are, are often synonymous for a reason. And I think it's because the love is always present. It's just for you to be able to discover it. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, when you meet certain people, it's a lot easier to do because you have a, a chemical or a chemistry, but more, I think, a vibrational level. You're, you're able to see that divinity in the other person a little better. Um, but if you're in the right place, you, you can see that Klaus Schwab is the perfect villain. You know, and so the world is really perfect in its imperfection. Um, that it doesn't mean you let them get away with their doing, but you don't have to hate these people. You just need to defeat them because it'd be like dealing with someone who's just doesn't know any better. Because in a sense, if they knew better, they wouldn't be this evil because the repercussions of that are going to be much mm -hmm. worse for them. But uh, yeah, I, so I think they they turn it up. They do. They have that habit of turning things upside down, <laughs> and it's it's you know, it's like a true satanic inversion. And, and and they weren't selling love. They were, they were they were selling fear and guilt under the guise of love, and, and they were really subverting love, in my view. Well, I think that's absolutely true, and it's very very well put. Um, you know, almost, most people know that uh, Robert Malone sued me and Ginger, and um, also um, oh god, I'm, I love her. I'm blocking on her name. Dr. Right Dr. Ruby. Ruby. Yeah, Dr. Ruby. And. Um, the uh, the temptation in a situation like that, which was so unjust, the judge is now throwing the case out of court. The judge is now deciding whether or not to make Malone pay Dr. Ruby and Dr. Bregan and Mrs. Bregan. He's, he's put that on Malone to prove why he shouldn't 
um, cause that. And um, I think other people became more frightened than I did. I think other people became angrier than I did. And it's what you just said. I'm so glad you said it. Hate gets us nowhere. If you come from hate, you get nowhere except you make things worse in the world. Even if you think you're a great progressive or a great right-winger or whatever, you're making things worse if you're coming from hate. And all the people I uh, really most deeply admire, uh, Martin Luther King and, and Gandhi are at the top for me. Um, and they did things I have not been brave enough to do in terms of just how out front they were. And um, so they're heroes. Um, they had no hate or they learned how not to express any hate they might have and to not have it. Um, and they accomplished great things, including becoming guys, shining lights to the world and influencing many, many people for the better. Um, and um, people said, are you greatly relieved now that the Malone's out of the picture? Not even that. We didn't even have a big celebration. It was like this thing we had to deal with, which comes if you are on the front lines. Um, it's not, not something that we take to heart in that way. And I think it's because we love each other and... I have that funny smile on my face all the time, which I'm beginning to think more and more sort of this subtle. I just love what's going on. I've been trying to figure this out. So I watch myself on TV and I've got this smile on my face and we're talking about all this stuff. And I think that's maybe what it is that, and I've learned this in the last 40 years with Ginger. I had an idea about it somehow from early on. Like I knew my family life wasn't right. And I knew that the way some teachers behave wasn't right, but I didn't understand the teachers who really cared for me. That I couldn't understand as much. Um, and uh, as I look at what happened to the freedom movement from Malone's attack on me, he did more damage to others than to me, which was in part his attention was to scare everybody to death. But we didn't back down. We didn't stop talking about him. We didn't up it. We didn't lower it. We just went about our business of, being scientists looking at things we believe are very, very dangerous. Uh, Lone's concept of mass psychosis, blaming the people for their mass psychosis rather than the global torturers, the Fauci's on up to the people we don't even know in the banking system and will never be, will never recognize the way up to the top, top, top. Um, so that, that really fits into comfort. So if what you're looking for is what to love and not to hate, you really, you got something marvelous going for yourself. Um, and thank you, Grace, for bringing this out in me. I had no idea. I believe Dr. Bregan and for Ginger, uh, many people. And, and, and you, Joe, bringing it out. I keep forgetting you're a therapist. I think of you as the, you know, the storming against with me kind of guy. But it's good. It's good that you you don't see. You know, I see Joe as a uh, an loving man, as a person. So you know, I I don't want to keep looking at a person or because of what the person does. So it's good because you know that just comes natural that you see a person you be comfortable. So just as 
I felt comfortable to invite Joe right away to share this space with you. But I was. I think he's blessed, and so are you. I think this is good. Yeah. Well, usually, usually when I'm a guest, they don't want to hear from me for a couple of years, so it's pretty pretty good that I can't, you know, back. To the <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what's not what's not the love? We've got the you know opportunity to you know save the human race. Yeah. But I was I was gonna emphasize also that I read I hear when you were going through those difficult uh, what's that was it all over a year it was oh yeah yeah well over a year people were sending you a lot of love a lot, a lot. of wishes especially after they got over being scared and um, and we didn't disappear and we didn't become angry. You know, Malone remained angrier and angrier. <laughs> I, have, I have a question about that, Dr. Bregan. When I look at that amount of $25 million, I don't know if that would scare me or, like, if that if I got hit with, I might be more afraid if it were a lesser amount and I could actually pay it. Because if I got hit with a $25 million fee, I'm like, what are they going to do? Make me work in the salt mines for a couple of thousand years? So did the amount like bother you more or less? Because that's such a ridiculous amount. Well, that's a brilliant insight, Joe. I'm not sure I clarified it for myself until now. No, it was so ridiculously an abusive move. Right. And, um, and cool. I knew that it actually had very little meaning to a judge or jury. But maybe not, because you go to court and the jury hears what you're demanding. Right. So that concerned me. Um, the big issue was, would I get a fair shake in a court? Which because is a big question. A lot of judges admire me. I mean, I, I recently got a call from a lawyer in practice who said I'd been a, he was a judge and he's retired and I'd been in his courtroom and he wanted to work with me on a case. I mean, that was like, oh. That's, that's practically like God calling you in on things. Um, but there were other judges who said mean things about me because I'm so threatening, especially years ago when I would go into court and say, Prozac you know, is a fraudulent endeavor. It's wrong in principle, and they cheated when they did it. And um, by the way, I used to say those things on the air, so you can imagine how the pharmaceutical industry, because I knew I was right, and I was willing to take consequences of a total, total attack on my finances. So I guess it wasn't so shocking, you know, the Malone thing. And um, nor do I think he's predictable, so I don't know that he's off our back or whatever, you know. But um, the um, the whole thing was an attack to silence me. And I knew that's what the 25 million meant. And it didn't give any more credence to me, except that fear of, well, is I going to get justice in the courtroom? Hmm. I have one question, quick question, Peter. Did you, um, did you ever think that maybe, I might get in trouble, but anyway, that maybe he has a handler also? I don't get into that much because I don't have evidence one way or another. I certainly think his wife's his handler because he says that all the time. But he doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like any one or two people would have the funds to go everywhere, the funds to immediately get on the top podcast in the world and all those things. It just doesn't seem possible. For one man to write things or one couple to write as many things um 
So there are things that come to mind, um, but I don't have a solid evidence about how much of this is, is him personally, how much of this are the people he says that up until recently were his closest buddies, people in the Department of Defense in particular. So what you just did there, Dr. Bragg, and it, it really illustrates how absurd that um, lawsuit was because you wrote a, your book, COVID-19, Global Predators, Weird or Prey, and you named names in there, but it's you've got like, what, 600 or more references in there, or 600 oh, something. Well, well, thousand, yeah, right? well, well, the actual end notes are about 1,200, and there's probably yeah, right. another thousand in them. Yeah, exactly. So, it, it, you know, you are naming names, but you, you're backing it up with the evidence to support it. And, and um, just that you didn't just say what a lot of people would say, like they think he's controlled opposition, that kind of thing. Because I hear that label get thrown out a lot. I don't know either. But just, that just shows you how silly the lawsuit was, because, you, you know, even if you're mm -hmm. making an assertion, there's evidence to back it up with your assertion. You don't have to be correct. There's no malintent there. And so you didn't make that claim just now. That just shows how that's just an illustration of how silly the lawsuit was, you know, because it, it yeah. I'm good, I'm good to see that. Yep. So so repeater, but perhaps another intention, maybe, maybe um, um, maybe not direct intention, but you know how they like the elites that controlled and made all these crazy things or evil things from the very beginning, from who knows, maybe centuries, maybe they really like it that the the freedom fighters, the group were getting divided. Because I, I, yeah, I read things on this side. I read things on this side. It's like, it's, and they like it. And it's, it's not even your cases is, is surely became like very popular the, the situation but there were other cases also that there were like conflicts going on among the different groups and so that is right? unquestionably what the uh, elites do and have always done regardless of whether they're political right political left, global predators i mean the communists i forget maybe it was lent Lenin, who said this, he said, "Oh, we don't attack. Oh, we don't attack alternative movements that are attacking us. We run them. They take over, and they splinter them. And during the uh, the Malone attack, at least one extraordinarily prominent member of our community." Um, who was a dear friend, went out of his way to try to get me to stop writing anything and even take down every, anything I'd ever written about Malone. And of course, that ended the tremendous combination we were together in fighting for justice. I, I had... Malone would go, went to uh, one man who was a preacher, combination minister and physician, and got him to call me to save Malone's marriage because I was destroying it. Can you believe that? It's, I haven't talked about this stuff, I don't think, before. Um, so I had a lot, there was a lot of splintering that he accomplished. 
one doctor wanted me to call me a different doctor to, could I please save Malone's marriage? Uh, the, the upset about me was breaking up their marriage or something. And I said, you're a doctor. I'm a doctor. What do you think's going on here? And they went, oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> but the other person didn't. I think eventually they did their own hearts. So he was very good, is very good at breaking up the movement, I would say, in his actions. That was the effect of his actions, the effect of them. Maybe he's, you know, he keeps saying he's mentally ill. He keeps saying he's got PTSD or he's got a long history that he was disturbed when he was a young man, all by other people's attacks. Then his wife's written long letters about it. So who knows? But I'm not, I'm not going to be talking a lot about this kind of thing. It just seemed appropriate right now. And the way to deal with it all is not, not to forget that you're a loving human being, whatever's going on around you. So I have a, a question. I'm actually working on an article I'm going to put out Friday about this, but you know, recently an, a video came out, uh, you know, an unearthed video of uh, you know, WF's uh, guru guy there, um, uh, Dr. Yuval, uh, Yuval. Yuval Harari, uh, talking about, you know, he doesn't just say God is a fiction. Um, he's talking about how human rights are a fiction, like literally yeah. working on the article before we even started this interview. And uh, just to kind of counterbalance a little bit, because that sure sounds like the absence of love. Um, it runs contrary to the whole idea of Declaration of Independence, natural rights, and the whole thing. Uh, did you have any comments on that? Because that that is um, a re that's a really not a good place to see the world through that lens. Um, no, and he's been clearly adopted by Klaus Schwab. His books sold millions and millions of copies. Well, it's not that his books, but that's not that easy. They're not selling the truth. Or he's just got huge sponsors. Mm -hmm. I mean, they can buy a books and burn them. I mean, they don't care, but they can make him famous. They can make you famous. Because and you mentioned people like Gandhi, and I'm thinking when you're mentioning it, I'm like, well, you know, how does that mesh, that reality of Professor Harari and Gandhi. Yeah. Like well, he does represent the new global phenomena, which is simply, quite simply, human beings have no inherent worth. That's it. That's it. Human beings have no inherent worth. We can cull them. We can stick things in their brains. We can lie to them all the time. And, uh, this is this is Harari and this is the global predators. Um, what they have to do is convince us of it too, because there's so many of us, they can't pull a holocaust on everybody. Right. Besides, then they wouldn't have any gardeners and they wouldn't have any chauffeurs and pilots and all the other things they want. Um, so if you look at all the things that are going on, whether it's the abortion, issue. Um, I, I, by the way, way was just anti-abortion when I was young because I was pro-women's rights. And I, I got chastised by some very serious people, one actually, about that, and I never forgot it. Peter, you, who's against lobotomies, of all people, should be against killing humans in the womb. And I have nothing to report apply to it. And gradually I began to look at it and to realize 
there's something here that is a a, a complete uh, symphony together. And that is the you love life at its inception. You love life in its manifestation as you as uh, humans outside the womb. You love old people, and you love the people who are gone. That's it. And and you can hardly do that without believing that love is something more than uh, sexual, like Freud believed. Another very destructive man, even though he invented what we do, therapy in many ways, just evil man in, in his basic philosophies of life. Um, I don't know what you think about that, Joe, but we, we, maybe you could respond. No, no, me. I kind of trace my roots more to William James, to be honest with you. Um, but well, he's uh, another piece of work. Yeah, but in a different way. But we both love the same people. I was interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started with William James, very young, and with Freud. That's really interesting. Now I've learned more about William James. There are other books that he's written that are not so nice. Oh, okay. And he fits into the globalist pattern and the that is true. He does. Uh, yeah. Well, and the relativity of values. Yeah. The real. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're on the same page. I think we're very reasonable people. We come. Yeah, yeah, I, I can look at I can look at someone and their ideas and like the look. Everything with me is a buffet. I take what I like. This yeah, that's right. That's so right. It's, yeah, that, that's easy. But when I see uh, you know this the the idea that you don't have intrinsic value and you don't have intrinsic rights. I mean, we may debate, discuss what those rights are, and disagree yeah. on those sometimes. But to even start with that premise is a real dangerous place. And uh, you know, look, it's true. The story is never true. It is what it is. And I'm going to say probably based on our spiritual development, you know, we experience, interpret and understand reality based on that. Um, but what, what he's putting out there is such an upside down view of that. It, it is coming from a real limited place. And um, the reality is, is, you know, and this is a little nihilistic, but you still can't prove to me that anything, if you think about it, I experience, you experience the world through your senses and you interpret it and experience it in your mind. I still don't know there's anything out there. You know, and what's the worst? What if I'm a bit player in Grace's mind? Darn, I don't even exist, right? So, I, I mean, uh, there should be a little more humility when, when you're taking this approach that everything is, you know, mechanistic and biological and, and this quantum nurse will tell you when you get down to those little pieces, it's not quite exactly matter anymore. And, and so, uh, yeah, it just yeah. seems to be such a hubris. It's I find yeah. it fascinating. Yeah, that. the thing and the thing that relates to this that I'm trying to say, which I may not have expressed very well, is there's a there's just this whole thing that fits together. Once you believe that there is love in the universe. And who, how, whatever source of God, whatever, and it places value on every live human being, maybe on all living creatures, but in a sensible fashion, and, and human beings being the most sentient, the most complex, and literally seeming to have an instinct built in them to believe in higher beings, because everywhere in every culture, mm -hmm. except Yuval Hararis and, you know, these kind of people, the communists and so on. Uh, most people don't know atheism is actually the official religion. They have a religion. Atheism is the official religion of communist China. When I first learned that, I was a little surprised. I mean, they call it their official religion. Yes, it's an official religion. Um, and, and the way I came into this is I saw pieces of it. I saw that lobotomy 
was just this evil, evil thing. I knew it instinctively. I did not like the idea of, of having the same attitude toward abortion. It never occurred to me until somebody pointed out it was a natural evolution of my thinking. And so there's that piece, there's this big, simple piece of knowledge about love, beauty, joy, God, treasuring life, and, um, and understanding why I have this smile on my face. <laughs> 90% of my time. And I think that's what it is. But um, And I want to give that to people. I want to give that to people. And I want to do it more. And I want to think of new ways to do it. And I love this show. I love how it's evolving. And, um, and I think that it's wonderful because I think basically the three of us hold the same opinion, the same basic idea in some form. Is that so? Do we all hold that? Definitely, because the way I look at love is, yeah, they, there's always a danger when, you know, there's always that evil side, okay? So, and they know that the love is, is that we have, especially when we connect it to what I call the source, which is the greatest of all, then they know that that that's what we're always kind of like that's our strength yes. so if that's our strength you know there are no there are no dummies these evil people they're no dummies so they know they will try to hit us through that yes. strength of ours but what might have happened with that love is that it it became and when we i keep touching here because we always think love is just here in the heart right but the point is that there is no compartmentalization of our body and this heart should have been connected with this upper part of our body which we call the brain and what what happened is just and that's even in the new age mo movement which i don't really follow because that is also part of the disinformation because everything is here 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 but hey what happened here and what happened to the you know the lower part of our body so for me, we were created, and some of us, some of us, like you, Dr. Bregan and Joe, and then those who can feel, even if we cannot explain fully what that love is or how we're just, just our senses, is it just five senses or maybe it's more? But some of us can remember it because of our physicality, that DNA, which some mainstream just say they're just no they're just ordinary but the dna holds a lot of potentiality you know and maybe a decision because if you think about it every every um discussion debate even scientific or theological discussion, all rest upon unproven premises if you originally get to the first call you have to set up you you all agree to an unproven premises and then you have your debate within that framework right and so you know, that's the divine aspect of human beings. We get to choose, you know, we're not just these biological machines. And so it might simply be a choice of how you live too. Yeah. Let I me think share that, this. I think it's that for me, Joe. Yeah. I want to share this video clip and then we'll talk about, is there love in that? Because it's a video clip of a, this was from, um, I follow Dr. Mike Yeadon in, in his solo channel in Telegram. 
and I saw this there, okay? I'll play it for us. So if, um, if, if it's not clear, you know, it says that the students of the teacher requested that song and the teacher's like, what? what's happening? It's like she was so perplexed. Why is this little kids asking for that song? Like as if it's impossible for these kids to long for a beautiful song or to be creative to, to think maybe of not what they're teaching in their curriculum. So what do you think? Joe, how do you interpret her response? It's complicated. Well, you know, I think, I, first I wanna know if they live in West Virginia because that makes it a little more, you know, but uh, uh, I mean, she seemed quite surprised and uh, she seemed uh, touched a little bit. At first I thought she was like, like looking at it negatively, but I think she, I think she was touched by it. I think it surprised her in that respect. Yeah, it looked almost transformative, and yeah. the, that's interesting. It's a beautiful song, right. and uh, yeah, that my my sense is that that the whole idea of this beautiful thing in her classroom and that this was so beautiful maybe she never heard maybe she's not a country music person i don't know but she looks sort of deeply touched in some way i, I think maybe, it, maybe it, by her children that the children would do this i don't know i, I honestly i didn't think of that dr Briggs. she may have never heard the song you know because she's not she's a younger woman there so that you know, if you don't yeah. like older songs you may have never heard that that's right it's our generation yeah not that you're in my generation. Grace, I think you're muted. Said, but that's true. Uh, both what you said, uh, Joe, and you know, and and being around children, if we keep that purity of the children and keep them as human children, okay, <laughs> because yeah. then I think that those things come up naturally. And that they influence us. Wasn't it in the Bible? They always say that you know, um, through the eye, through the eyes of the children, you learn, or you know, but with a child, the child would lead us. Because I definitely learned a lot from my son when he was still small. You know, I followed actually his signs for me of what is next for me to offer mm. him, and I didn't really like, you know dictated what I need to teach him. So I just listened carefully to the conversation. Yeah. I knew when I had to talk about sex because he asked me question while we were sleeping. I said, ah, so I said, 
and said, time to borrow a book at the library. So I went to the library. So, mm -hmm. you know. Dr. Reagan's book on sex 101. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me mention the books because the audience isn't going to be familiar with them. We have written about these things. Um, not, not very old book. It was a few years back before COVID is my book, Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety. I did not pick such a grim title. Uh, this is while I still use publishers, and they gave me an ultimatum. You use this title. That's not love. I would put love in the title and said maybe the interferences of guilt, shame, and anxiety. But the book is called Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety, How to Overcome Our Negative Emotions. It's, you can buy it everywhere. Um, and it has the last third is entirely about our conversation today. The first third is about the evolution of human beings. I, I, I do believe in evolution. I don't know how it got started, if somebody was in charge or if it was an accidental lightning bolt, as materialists would say. But there's something incredibly special about life. And I talk about the evolution of human beings and um, their learning to love and how they learn to love. And I include dogs in the process. I think early dogs, maybe 20,000 years ago, played a role. And the second part is understanding guilt, shame, and anxiety so you can reject them. We never should act on guilt, shame, or anxiety. Never. We act on reason and love. And that's the last part of the book. So I really do have a whole thing there. And, it, uh, and then a much smaller book that was written with love on every word, practically, is the heart, not art, the heart of being helpful. And I talk about ginger in it. I talk a little bit about our relationship. I talk about animals in it. But I talk about what I call a healing presence. And um, maybe it was partly thinking about a healing presence. No, I, I had this smile when I was a kid. But, um, uh, but I think it plays into that role of, of, of being smiling, being, having a healing presence. And that's something you might be interested in. Maybe we talk about that sometime on the air that creating a presence for the other person that they feel safe and loved. And I don't think in that regard, therapy is any different than any other beautiful process. It's just that we put limits on it. You know, no sex. I'm not going to marry you. Uh, no, uh, I don't want you to pay me more than the sessions because you think I'm wonderful. We, we have limits on all of this. And um, and that allows us to be caring for each other, protects us and allows us to have a loving relationship. And this is how I look, look at therapy, too. And I tell patients that, people that. And since I'm somewhat of a public figure, the people who come to me generally like me. But attraction, uh, uh, similar viewpoints attract each other. When I was young and an angry, fighting, angry young man, I got all these angry people in my practice. It was nowhere near as much fun as now when almost everybody is a loving person or wants to learn how to be who calls me. And they also believe in freedom. <laughs> I have another video clip and you tell me if you feel the love in this doctor, okay? I'm gonna share it to you. Hang on there. I will share. 
Now, if I know this doctor, I may ask you to edit my response. Go ahead. I know. <laughs> you may know, but... Yeah, that, I'm a little concerned about that. Big issues regarding vaccines. These are the things that I'd like to highlight. Number one, there is no education in medical schools that I am aware of. And being an educator at the Cleveland Clinic Learner College of Medicine and Case Western Reserve University, I am not aware of education around vaccines, their contents, safety records, informed consent, or the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. We do not discuss that in 1986, Congress enacted legislation removing all liability from pharma related to vaccine adverse events. What are we taught about vaccines? We are taught to memorize the vaccine schedule. We don't discuss that almost $4 billion with a B has been paid to vaccine injured patients since 1992. For medical professionals, we expect fair balance, but vaccines seem to be absolved from that consideration. Number two, there appears to be a conflict of interest regarding payments to providers for completing vaccine schedules. And a corollary to that, which would be number three, patients are being dismissed from practices because of quote unquote, vaccine safety concerns. If you bring up a question about a vaccine and you decide not to vaccinate your child, you may be at risk of being terminated from that practice. Absolutely deplorable and disgusting. Number four, and again to the Bailey family, I'm really sorry, but employers are forcing employees to receive the flu vaccine or face corrective action or job loss. And the fact that your dad was six months from retiring is there's a left number five there's a lack of informed consent and i was one of those providers who didn't provide safety before vaccinating i would tell the parents these are the vaccines today we're going to give you three vaccines in one leg and two in the other and then after vaccinating either the child or the adult patient here's your information sheet and again, to be completely transparent with you, I had no idea that there was even a mention of the compensation program or a telephone number to call. Absolutely deplorable on my part, and I apologize to my patients. Number six, there's a lack of transparency regarding vaccine complications. And worse, you're being shamed as patients for suggesting that you were harmed by a vaccine. If I see a patient in the office and diagnose strep throat and give them penicillin, and either the mom or the patient themselves calls and tells me that they developed a rash, there is zero question. The chart now states they have an allergy to penicillin and will never be given it again. Why don't we believe parents and patients when they tell us they have had an adverse event regarding a vaccine, it doesn't make sense to me as a medical professional. I apologize for the being emotional. Number seven, 
Actually, I don't apologize. Number seven. Why do the placebos and vaccine studies contain the adjuvants like mercury and aluminum? Aren't placebos supposed to be inert? In other words, if you're comparing, let's say, the hepatitis B vaccine against the placebo, why does the placebo contain a metal? If the concern could possibly be the metal itself that's triggering the autoimmunity that Dr. Lyons-Weiler had so eloquently spoke about. Number eight, why has the rate of autism spectrum disorder gone from one in a thousand in 1990, as I was taught, to one in 48 in 2017? Is there a link between the toxins in vaccines and this significant increase in the diagnosis, not only of ASD? We certainly know about a, a risk of Guillain-Barre, but what about attention deficit disorder, mood disorders in children? and just the overall chronic disease epidemic in this country. I mean, we are a very sick population, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, but we're currently spending $3.5 trillion on healthcare, and what, honestly, folks, are we getting for that? As a physician and all physicians, we take the Hippocratic Oath, and we say, no primum, no cherry, first do no harm and not providing informed consent regarding a vaccine, and then ultimately discovering patients had adverse reactions to that intervention is a direct violation of that oath. There is much work to be done in this area as pharma is literally racing to provide us with more life-saving vaccines. Let me tell you, friends, they are working on over 140 vaccines at this time. How do you guys feel about that? You want me to go? Um, every single thing he said uh, was true. And it's clearly coming from a loving heart. Um, there is one or two things that I disagree with that I think he just doesn't know the psychiatry or the psychology. Um, when you get a measles reaction that looks like autism or ADD, it is not causing autism or ADD. It's causing generalized brain damage. Mm. What the vaccines do is a cause in something called encephalopathy, and it's often listed as encephalopathy, which is a, is a generalized brain disease, and it's usually reserved for serious ones. And there is this overdiagnosing of autism, which is not a brain disease. There's the overdiagnosing of ADD, which does not exist. So he fell a little bit into the diagnostic trap of thinking that things are biological that don't exist, ADD, or things like autism, which are developmental disorders. And oddly enough, even the Psychiatric Association manual agrees with me on this, and they always want to make something biologic, always, that they have no biologic markers for autism, no biological causes are known. So with that exception, which is a very important one because a lot of people in our movement think 
the vaccines are causing autism, and it plays heavily against winning in court because they have very simple arguments that no, it doesn't. But they won't say, no, the kid was brain damaged by the vaccine. For God's sakes, he got the vaccine, he got a fever, he got this, he got that, it was traumatic, he's sick. And uh, that's so are you, are you saying, Dr. Bregan, are you saying that it causes the brain damage that causes the autism symptoms or? It causes brain damage and autism is only one tiny part of it, if at all. Okay. The kid's got cognitive, general cognitive deficits. Now, this is, we're running over, way over. Is that all right? I'm good. So I'm going with the flow, whatever you guys We're say. good. We're good. Right. So let, me try, let me try to deal with this. I think it was one of those God hands, God's hand things that got me prepared for this because before COVID, I had concluded that the vaccine industry might be even more evil than the psychiatric drug industry. I'd been talking to some people. I was learning about the court. I mean, the psychiatric drug industry doesn't have a special court, which prevents you from suing, which I'm not sure he got, which prevents you from suing anybody. Yeah, I guess he, I think he said that. So it's sort of like an atomic energy plant. Hey, we can't deal with a catastrophe. Why are you gonna have a catastrophe and not an atomic energy plant? See what I'm saying? I don't want to get too, too generalized here. So I actually went and researched the autism because I thought that the guy was maybe right. He certainly shouldn't. He lost his license. He's a hero to many of my colleagues uh, when he mentioned his name, the guy. Um, and people like him a lot. So I went to look at his article and, and see what I thought of it. He's first author with many other authors. Um, it turns out that he was he'd gotten like $45,000 from lawyers to do research on autism for lawsuits on autism. They were trying to make a business out of autism. Turns out the people he was seeing on the wards were his patients, who for, might be legal case, case patients. And it turns out that although he talks about it causing autism, he has to admit in the article that the children had generalized neurological disorders. That's a different category. But the autism lobby is powerful. The autism lobby will get you money because in part, the parents don't want any responsibility for what looks like something that evolves in, a rela in relationships with autism uh, of early childhood. I wouldn't even say I could prove that, but that's what it seems. I've had at least one case of totally reversed, way out autism when they brought Tim to early me enough. And I said, I won't even need to see him again. Probably I'm going to help you relate to him. You're not relating to him in the office. I'm going to help you relate to him. And they did it. The kids, are, I know these people, so the kid's doing great. He's gone from that nine-year-old to, you know, he's past college now and stuff. So, uh, but that's not a lot of experience. But I've also helped people with, some degrees of autism. And um, I think autism, autism is a learned disorder. It's never been associated with trauma. Some symptoms, what are the symptoms of autism? The basic symptom of autism is what we are talking about today. The children have no concept of connecting to human beings. That's love. They don't know that a human being is different than a table or a chair. That's the basic symptom of autism.
That's what Cantor described way back in the 40s and 50s. I think the dates are right. That's what it is. You see it. You see it in the movies. You see it accurately depicted in various places. Um, that wonderful actor played an autistic boy, young man. I forget the name of the show. Uh, the movie it was a tremendous movie, and, and this is how he acted. He, he could barely relate. He couldn't smile with you. He couldn't relate to you as a person. And uh, but there'll be glimmers. And if an autistic child, if you give them injection, you hurt them. They hit the they hit the injection. They don't hit you. They're not relating to you. It's a very specific syndrome. It is rare. But it's been way overdiagnosed, and there's a lot of money in it. The autistic kind of family groups working with astroturf. Uh, Place uh, astroturf organizations have practically stopped the investigation at the NIMH and NIH and so on of any psychological family causes of any illness. They want to blame. They want. They don't. That they, they they don't. They don't see it. I didn't do anything wrong. They're not even interested. I've spoken before the National Autism Society because they wanted to hear about the dangers of drugs. I don't think they'll do that anymore. That was. 10, 20 years ago. I couldn't relate to the parent. So I wanted to hug one of them. I thought she was going to have a heart attack. So what we've got here is a, and uh, there's a number of very important people here who kept keep me off TV because of this, but I don't want to, I don't want to be motivated by that. They've kept themselves our conservative TV. Um, so what I learned when I looked at his article was that the only people who were calling it autism were the parents. The doctor's diagnoses were generalized brain disorder, encephalopathy, sometimes gastrointestinal problems from the jab. Not autism. There was recognition. There was trauma. These kids, many of them had immediate fevers. So I came away realizing that he was wrong. He was on a trip. He was making money from it, I, I think. Maybe someday he'll write to me. I, don't, I wouldn't be, be very uneasy about it and tell me I'm wrong. But um, that's, that's what happened. And um, so I got a real confirmation of how much the drug companies like this. Because you see, the even the board of the legal U.S. the U.S. board that evaluates um, injuries, I think Dr. Needs. By the way, I love Dr. Needs. I want to get a hold of him. I want to have him on the show, my show. But he was. Uh, I think he was thinking that they got paid a lot of money. He was saying, "See, there's a lot of damage because they get paid a lot of money by the court. They get pittance from the court." In the video, Dr. Bragan, he, he, he kind of touched on something about, um, you know, I, I, I use the term gaslighting because I think it applies, and probably you and I are the only two here to watch the actual movie with Angry Bergman. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, 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 patients right now are being gaslit by their doctors. Like, they're going yeah. to them with the problems from these uh, COVID biological weapon injections, and 
they're, they're going there with the problems and their doctors aren't admitting it. I don't get it because honestly, if, yeah, if that's I a different that, subject. Let me just finish yeah. this. For okay. A yeah, sure. Cause I, I'd like your, your thoughts. Let, on let that. me just finish this for a minute and we'll end at four. We'll end in an hour. And a half. We'll do an hour and a half. Um, so I started to look at the pediatric and I did all this before COVID. So I got prepared. I actually studied. I found out that the drug companies, whoever stopped all research on all these damages that take place from the measles vaccine and other vaccines. We don't even know the rates. We have no idea. There's no research. It's all clinical reports, but they've stopped the clinical reports now. It's not in the literature anywhere. It's hard to find the old articles. And uh, all this is on my website. You can find, uh, oh boy, look for vaccines. Uh, it should come up on the website because I'm the only article I ever wrote on vaccines. But, um, so you go to a pediatric textbook. I went to the best pediatric textbook, the Nelson's. I had it in medical school. And I looked up side effects of vaccines as part of the research for the paper. And some vaccines, they would say, and by the way, the autism thing is about the measles vaccine. So I looked up and may there'd be some admission that people got some epilepsy maybe occasionally or a little of this, little of that, nothing serious from the vaccines. They're wonderful, um, they say. But measles, they had only one remark about measles. It does not cause autism. They never mentioned, they didn't feel obliged after that to say, oh yeah, causes seizures, causes encephalopathy, may cause Guillain-Barre disease. Oh yeah, a lot of different things. We're suppressing those. No, they just said it doesn't cause autism. <laughs> so this was, I think, something that actually ended up being treasured by the, by the drug company. And I apologize to the people here who are um, going to be real mad at me about this. Some of them, they're friends, and they won't talk to me anymore. But we have to see the truth. We have to be scientific. The paper he wrote was unscientific. It was for a purpose, to connect autism to the injections for court cases. Um, so the parents were used again. The parents were used, but they were using too because, well, no, no, the parents, the parents were not because these parents really didn't have autistic children. They didn't. It didn't evolve because of a lack of parenting. It evolves basically when the child runs into tables and chairs and people exactly the same to them. And, um, oh, I mean, first, thank, thank you for bringing it up. Those parents didn't have autistic children. They brain-damaged children. They were being used. Folks, that's really important. I never thought of that. They were being used because they didn't have autistic children. I wouldn't be able to say to that parent, you work with me. I won't even see your kids. You work with me for so many years. You're going to do better. No, I couldn't say that. I could say, listen, it is brain disease. But maybe I can help you with your getting irritable with it, understandably. Maybe I can help you You know, know that the child still will feel love brain damage kid people feel love um you didn't have anything to do with the cause at all it's damn drug companies um so i exonerate all those parents but the other thing is when i when i help parents i tell them i don't care whether you're cause them or not. i don't care whether you get suicide is because of you it's hard to raise kids i never figured it out honestly but I did really figure out that if I'd been more loving 
and more connected to my kids and more than I was and didn't get divorced, be a lot better. I can help you. I can help you with, I can help you without blaming you. So I'm not even blaming the parents. That's not my point. I mean, I just think the studies indicate there's a very particular kind of parent. They're professional people. They're very intelligent people. And they will honestly tell you that they were very busy, if they're honest, extremely busy getting their credentials or making their first professional activities. So it really would be good for each individual, parents or not parents, to always be wary or be cautious when you think something is really good being offered to you because of something you might think you need, question that, or because there might be another on the other side of intention. So that's what I guess we yeah. just wanted to say. Yeah. Well, the whole autism thing is marketing by NIH, NIMH. Um, maybe the, I don't know if the autistic parents, parents of autistic children want more and more autistic kids because then of course they get more services. So maybe it's partly that, but I don't know that it's at all real that there are more kids with autism. There might be, there's certainly more hyper professional striving parents than ever, I would guess, but uh, maybe not. Um, Just be cautious, I guess, be careful. Be cautious. Right? Yeah. So intelligent enough and don't lose yeah. all that sovereignty. And I, I know we're towards the end, but I thought let's just say briefly about the um, national arm and the, the, the grand jury, just, just people to be aware that these things are happening. I can talk a little about it and I think you can talk about Basically, I'm their advisor. I think they're a great group, um, very interesting people, and they have their own independent activities uh, like Joe does. And um, he can tell you about his, and I'm talking to the, to the head, Miss Winkle, he's an attorney. I'm talking to him about possibly developing and getting some lawyers involved in genocide charges against these vaccine guys. Because genocide is not just against races and religions, it's against countries. They are trying to genocide us so that they can take over the world. We are their target. We've been selected out. We're a national group. And uh, so I'm working with him on that. I haven't been in touch with him. He probably thinks I'm not working on it, but I'm writing a book at the same time, trying to fit the two projects together. And Joe, your project. Oh. I can't hear you. Yeah. What if I unmute myself? Now you can hear me. There you uh, go. So, uh, I, uh, um, yeah, so I, last time I was on here, I actually mentioned uh, briefly about the Arizona Republican Party. Um, so Maricopa County passed a ban to jab resolution out there, which is big because that's the biggest Republican county in the country with like that's 87 fabulous. Yeah, with like 87% of the vote. And it was coming up at the um, Republican. That's vote. fab. What a credit to you and your work. I can't imagine what you must have done to convince 80 plus percent of Republicans to put aside their fears, their terrors, their disbeliefs, their, no, I don't want to take a risk. And to well, vote for every it. time, Dr. Bragg, every time one of these resolutions passes, they usually need at least two thirds to pass. Yeah, so, I don't know how you know, so Sometimes a good resolution might have a majority, but not two thirds, you know? So yeah, yeah Maricopa County passes, but then the Republican Party of Arizona 
had it on the agenda because I got Dan Schultz to submit it to both. Uh, and, and he's a well-known activist. And uh, it, what happened was, is they never got to it on Saturday, this past Saturday. So the earliest it can be brought up again, it will be is on, uh, they didn't vote it down or anything. It, they just ran out of time. I don't know if that was deliberate or they had a tumultuous meeting, but uh, so that'll come back up in April just for your viewers, Grace, because they might be wondering. Uh, but yeah, so Dave uh, Meiswinkel has been uh, putting out that we got this grand jury petition and we've been putting out, I think we did 11 states so far uh, where we're just providing them the evidence of crimes ranging from uh, genocide to treason to murder, racketeering uh, and uh, biological weapons law violations, obviously. And it's a little bit of a um, just an added way to put pressure on them and removing a, a little bit of this plausible deniability as well as we go forward. Um, you know, because at some point people aren't going to have plausible deniability. Yeah. There's no and at this point, like doctors and even pharmacies and pharmacists that are pushing the shots, I, I just don't see any plausible deniability for them at this point. Um, you know, what I would do is, you know, people should start going because the doctors, he talked about in that video, but the doctors are, you know, they're gaslighting patients, a lot of them. I don't know if it's out of fear or ego or whatever, but all they need to do is print out the Pfizer 5.36 post-cumulative analysis. That was available to the government by March of 2021. The public got it in November of 2021 because the physicians, uh, Canadian Physicians for Transparency Group, like sued and got the judge to, uh, they want to hold that data for 75 years. But I would print that 38 page document out and I'd walk into my doctor and hand it to them. If they're telling you that Is you're that in the Pfizer document book. Yeah. It's um, if you go to phmpt.org, uh, you'll get it's it there. But if you, yeah, I believe it's phmpt.org. Uh, if you can't find it, let me know. I'll email it to you. But um, if you Google, if you just Google uh, Pfizer 5.36 post cumulative analysis, it will come right up the PDF of it right on that website. Uh, and that's like a summary of the study when they first went with the. Uh, uh, in the early rollout, this is with the general public. Uh, and they had like 42,000 adverse cases, 158,000 adverse uh, uh, incidents, yeah. 1,300 side effects. So if your doctor's telling you that your symptoms are, hand it to them. There's 1,300 side effects. Point it out to them. Say, which one, you know, I, that's what I would do. But I'm like that. <laughs> and I yeah. do it out of love. I do it out of love, I swear. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I would do that because th what they're doing now is wrong. You know, I, the, I don't see why. All they have to do is say, "Look, I was lied to, like everybody else." It's it, you may not. You probably know about this complexity, which the, which is that the FDA, and the drug companies, were not allowed to even adequately study these uh, jabs, although they put up a farce about it because it was originally set up in May 2020 as a military project. Mm -hmm. We have a new, if you go to our Peter and Ginger website, you'll, you'll find a headline that uh, says something about, uh, you know, a mili military project. Uh, and um, it was run by a four-star general for at least the first year. Um, and, um, 
it was never anything more than treated like a weapon and you don't study weapons to see if they hurt people. This is a bizarre situation. Please read my article, folks, on Peter and Ginger Bregan. It, um, there's no question about it. I found the original announcement. Other people done really good work on this before me. I got interested in it. And when I started looking, I found the original rollout announcement from the DOD, the rollout announcement for Operation Warp Speed is from the DOD. And it says that HHS and uh, the uh, DOD are in charge. It says that the drug companies and the FDA will not go through their usual procedures of making up protocols for testing. The quote, government will do that, which they never did. I've got that in there too. And uh, that in charge will be the surgeon, be the four-star general, and his advisor will be an entrepreneur. And they named him. Who works for drug, who's worked for drug companies. And um, that, that article is in the, that, um, it's in our, it's gingerbregan.substack.com. Yeah, okay. Yes, I po I'm posting that right now. So it's in your joint substack. That's yeah. living with So, I mean, that's how crazy the world is we're in. Please don't think this is a conspiracy theory. I use their documents. Okay. Yeah, I, I know. I, I get it. I mean, this is a war. It, it, we're at war right mm -hmm. now. There's no other way to look at it. And I think that's why I like to say asymmetrical warfare requires asymmetrical resistance. I think we got to use every You're doing a great job. It's and requiring state level stuff, and because the feds suck, you're yeah. really doing great things, Joe. And and one more thing I want to just share is a is a quote that I'm following also Alex Craner, who's a financial analyst, and in 2017 he was his book about Bill Brods, Brodsky was already um banned twice in amazon but anyway this is from his article and it mm -hmm. resonated to me a lot lately and it says collectively we could only fail if we fell for misdirection or if we simply surrendered for fear that we've no right to do for we would be mm -hmm. surrendering also on behalf of future generations so i say mm -hmm. it's time to be brave and be brave I want yeah. to give my wife, a wife a plug, Ginger, because she is really helping in this with her columns on distraction, all the ways that we are being distracted from what's going on. That's another part of the this psyops that they do on us. Yeah, and I have that gingerbragging.substack. And, of course, um, go ahead and... Dr. Peter Bregan, go ahead and let the audience know more where what's your highlight that you want to invite them. But you're very, if they just put Peter Bregan on the Google, they'll find you. But please. They, they will, but it's interesting. They're, I'm, I'm looking at alternative sites now. I'm not sure I'm ready to broadcast it, but. Your radio show? No, there are, other, there are other search engines that are coming up now. Maybe I'll come back after I've worked more with them. But um, yes, I will show up on Google. And and um, But the, the things that we do that are most keep you in track of what we're doing, and hence in our vision on this whole thing, are on our website, our uh, Bregan Alerts. 
They're written by Ginger Bregan. They're fabulous. We have 45,000 people who read them, well, who, who get it. And the opening rate is huge, it's more than half or something. It's usually 5% on these new newsletters. So people really love it. And uh, we should, we should, we would, I think, have several hundred thousand if we weren't, you know, getting suppressed. But we got 45,000 people who get the newsletter. And then um, another great way is our Substack. It is called the Peter and Ginger Bregan uh, well, Substack, but I'm a late comer, so it's you Google it most easily by Ginger Bregan Substack. Yeah, it's gingerbregan.substack.com. Yeah, yeah, it does say both. But if you do Peter and Ginger Substack, you'll get there. If that's all you can remember, and um, those those two things will really keep you in touch. And also, we're on America Out Loud. Our radio shows on America Out Loud together, the two of us, and we're a riot. Um, But we're good. We're really good at interviewing between the two of us, and. and we also um, have our features on on America Out Loud. We love Malcolm, who runs America Out Loud. So that's that's a third place. Wonderful. I like I like all those uh, links that you shared. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And Joe, that anything more that we? Uh, you guys are the best. And if you want to follow me, I'm on. It's josephsansone.substack.com. And I uh, should be putting out an article Friday on uh, our, our nutty Professor Harari's uh, views. Oh, good. Good. Yes. And so thank you very much. And love to both of you. Hugs to both of you. And, and hugs to both of you. <laughs> and to our audience, loves to all of you. Hug to all of you. And please like, share, support, subscribe, whatever you can do. Okay? I put up, you know, and definitely you are not alone. So support this person, please. Grace, you're the best. (laughs) Take care, everyone. And let's see. Bye. For now.